Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Valley Show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Jeff Smith. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, the mighty Pete Longton. How are you today? Absolutely awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Listen, it's mighty to have you on here. It's a great safe space. That's what we're here for today. So welcome to the show. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's taken a while to through one thing or another to, to get here, but listen, things happen for the right reason at the right time. So it's delighted to, to, to have you here. So Jeff, tell us, who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? Okay, I'm from England, which you can probably tell by my accent. Um, Jeff Smith, I'm affectionately called and known as the KPI guy. And the reason for that is my speciality, my blessing, my gift is understanding and teaching people about key performance indicators. Uh, I speak at conferences, I do training, I do mentoring online, business performance, personal development. So quite a very small niche, really. It's about understanding where you are and where you want to be in life. And are you where you want to be in life, Jeff? Whoa, that's a deep question already, Pete. Am I where I want to be? Now, that, that's a fascinating one, you know, because I saw your title, Fire in the Belly, and I think about my life and I think about different parts of my life, that the past where I've had fire in my belly, I've lost it, regained it, lost it, moved in a different direction, gained it again. And I think it's quite fascinating, and I'm sure I'm not the only person in the planet that has achieved something only to find the ladder of success has been leaning up the wrong wall. And it's not really what you wanted and perhaps needed a change of direction and finding yourself. So am I where I want to be? Uh, Peace. Um, I think life is a journey, not a destination. And I think if we get to this is it, I've made it, I think you'll be unfulfilled. Mm. That, that, that's what I think. I think you always need to have some fire in your belly for something. We need a purpose in life. What, well, first of all, what does fire in the belly mean to you, Jeff? It means... When you want something, it's that something that wakes you up in the morning, that gets you out of bed, that gets you motivated and started in the morning to go ahead and make a difference to do something, whatever that something is. Now, uh, when I've started writing uh, books, I've written seven now. When I go into book mode, it consumes me. 24 seven, it, it doesn't leave me alone and, until I complete. So I would say I have the fire in the belly. Once I begin writing the book, 
I have fire in my belly to keep on going right until it stops. Then I have to break and rest because firing the belly is awesome. It is. But you have to know when to put out that fire and rest because we need to work hard. We need to play hard. But the secret to success is also to know when to rest hard. Is, is the power in the work or the power in the rest? I think both. I, I think you need to rest to enable yourself to work. If you just work and work and work, you burn out. And I have burnt out. I've burnt out three times. And now I know the signs. I, I know when to rest. So, so rest is equally as important. And of course, to play. You need to enjoy yourself with something too. Mm. Do you know what your calling is, Jeff, out of interest? That's a fascinating one because for a number of years, I questioned what is my purpose? And the reason I asked myself that piece is because I think we all have a purpose. All of us do. And if we look at the human race, there's seven and a half billion of us now. We're all good at something, but we're all good at different things. So no matter what problem befalls humanity, there's always someone somewhere who can come up with a solution. I mean, look at COVID and how quickly the vaccines and things came out. That was amazing. But anytime there's a major disaster or anything that happens or a solution is needed, there's always someone somewhere who can do it. Uh, and I think, how do they do that? You know, but then I look at myself. I think my purpose was to write this book called The KPI Book. That was my purpose. So, I mean, to give you an idea, at school, I failed English. I failed mathematics. And now I'm on record as the most successful author in history on a book about mathematics. I mean, how, how on earth, how on earth does that work? And I, I think it's because I found my purpose. And when I did, I had sufficient fire in my belly to find out and deliver on that purpose. There's so many things here, Jeff, but I mean, the most, the most successful author in history. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great yes. title. I love that. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was quite interesting how it all came about because I'm self-published. So I don't, I don't know who sells what or how many things like that. And I had a call one day, it was about six years ago. And it was from the um, directing editor of Wiley Publications. Here's how the call went. I answered the phone and this guy said, hi, hey, is that Jeff Smith? I said, yeah. He said, my name, uh, I'll call him Alex, because that's his name. He said, <laughs> <I'll be honest. laughs> that's a good start, right? He said, I'm Alex. I'm the editing director of Wiley Publications. We are the the number one publishing house in the world for all books on financial matters and we have the second best selling book in the world on key performance indicators and i thought 
That's a strange thing to say. We've we've got the second best-selling book in the world on key performance Mm. indicators. So I said, okay, so the natural question then, who's first? And I said, Jeff, you're kidding me, right? I said, no. He said, let me tell you, we have the number two, the number three, the number four, and the number five best-selling books in the world. If you add the sales of those combined together with number six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, you outsell the rest of the top 10 put together. Uh, Wow. He said, you're everywhere. The KPI guy said, so what I'd like to do is for you to write a book for us. And And then my first thought, Pete, was, well, if I'm so successful by myself, why, why would I want to write a book for someone else? So, um, <coughs> so I then re- researched it, and no one else has ever ever come close on on the subject matter because each industry has their own key performance indicators. So my forte at the time was the automotive industry, of which there are six businesses within there: new cars, used cars, service parts, body shop general management. And of course, that book on its own sold more than the rest of the top 10 put together. And no one else has got close to that. And then then it was on record, most successful author in history on the subject. So and I thought, wow, that, that is beautiful. Um, yeah, so that's, that's where it comes from. That'll make you proud, Jeff. Makes me extremely proud. What's fascinating with books, I don't know whether you know this, Pete, but hundreds of thousands of books are written each month. On average, how many books are sold? So if you take a book, on average, how many copies does a book sell? Now, we've got the mega ones like J.K. Rowling, who sells the billions, and then we've got the lower ones. But on average, Pete, do you know what the number is? Because I know you're an author yourself. I'm going to say an average of 100. Actually, it's a little more than that. The, the, the world average is 400 copies. Wow. So when I, when I wrote my book, I thought the market size, and I was only looking at the UK at the time, I thought the size of the market is probably about 5,000. If I can touch the lives of 20% of those people, mm-hmm. um, that would give me a thousand. And to be honest, Pete, I never did this for money. It does make money. That was never, ever my goal. It just kind of followed. But the reason I did it was that I'd worked in the automotive industry, running car dealerships and things for 15, 16 years. The industry had been very, very good to me, and I wanted a way of giving back because there would be other per- other people who follow my route. So it was a sense of contribution, my way to give back. So if I could give back and help a thousand people, I thought that would be a worthy cause for me. So that that's why I wrote it. It's then gone on way surpassed hundred thousand copies now, which is makes me incredibly proud. What triggered you to write the book in the first place? Uh, your, your first book, of course, because I know there's others, and we'll talk about that. But yeah, the yeah. first book, I mean, it, it, you know, it's <laughs> a calling, yes. a nudge. 
Um, are you when you run one business and you're present at that business, you can move around that business and you know what's going on most of the time with most people in most areas. So I used to run a car dealership, typically 350 people, something like that. And I won a few awards for being the best in the franchise and you win holidays and things like that, which was wonderful. I then got promoted to director level. I then had two full-blown dealerships to run. Now, you can't be at both businesses at the same time. So you lose that intuition of knowing who's doing what, where and when. So what you needed to do, or what I needed to do, was to develop these key performance indicators. So it's about asking the right questions of a business to understand what's going on at the time and are those activities meeting the objectives set by the goal, the budget, and all those kinds of things. And then I started winning awards for both dealerships and people were saying, how are you doing this? And I thought everyone used key performance indicators. And I started to discover then very few people knew what KPI stood for, never mind using them. Then I, I got promoted and I was running 10 dealerships. Now to run 10 dealerships, you really have to understand it's like spinning plates, you know, and you have to know which plate is wobbling at a specific time and when to go in and twiddle that stick or catch the plate or put it back on before it falls up off and a catastrophe happens. And that's what key performance indicators do. That was my thing. That was what made me unique. And that's what won uh, awards for me, because I could go speak to different managers at different times and say, hey, what's going on with this? And they go, but how do you know? And it was because I had these key performance indicators daily. So each of the managers used to report the information. Then I taught the managers how to use this information once I'd got it all in place. And they all themselves went on to be business leaders themselves. So that's something else I'm really proud of. But when I found out then that few people were actually using them, I thought, well, I knew there would be a lot of people following in my path to say, how did Jeff do it? How did he get through this? And there wasn't anyone producing any information and no one to teach it. So I thought, I've been blessed with this gift. I don't have to think about it, Pete. I, it, just, it just happens. I just know how to do this stuff. I don't know where it comes from. So I call it the blessing. The curse, I had to write a book to share it with other people. And I felt that was my burden, if you wish. I'd been given this gift and it was my duty to share it with others. So then I had to go about finding out how to write a book and how to make it happen. I couldn't not do it. That's how much I value the gift. That's super isn't it? interesting, isn't it? It's like when the 
the need of the push of the calling is greater than the need of push of the calling of not doing it. When one exceeds the other, then it's a it's a must do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I could not not do it. It was my duty, as I'm blessed. At that time, I mean, there there is a slight irony here. You're sort of saying, you know, the, the expectations of the book were not that high. What were the KPIs for the KPI book before the KPI book came about? <laughs> they didn't exist. <laughs> so when you say my aspirations were not that high, actually, they were really high. Bearing, Pete, nothing existed. Nothing. Mm. So I'm thinking, okay, the, and I was only looking at the UK. I wasn't looking at planet Earth at this time. So there, there was me in my, my little world, teams of people selling cars, servicing cars in England. So I looked at the UK I, and I thought, there's probably 5,000 people who have the potential to be interested in this book. If I can reach 20% of them, 1,000, that's a lot. That's not a small amount. The thing that was small was that I had not considered it on a global level. What actually happened, what took me to a global level was the book itself, not me. So the book then started migrating to, to other parts of the world. And then people were calling me from, I don't know, Antigua, um, Barbados. And I'm thinking, how does it get to these tiny little islands? And, and it was all by word of mouth. So people were buying it all around the world and passing it on and recommendations. And even now, I've never, ever done any marketing. Yes, I have a website, but but that's it. It all goes by word of mouth. So what's the KPIs for the book then? Um, define the question for me, Pete. Well, I'm just curious, why? What, why what? Why have it there? Why talk about it? Why put it out there? Why? I mean, we could just as easily not talk about it and yeah. just let it find its own freak. And if it sells, it sells. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. So there's, there's got to be an indicator. And I'm assuming it's a, it's either something I would suspect it'll be a performance indicator or a emotional indicator that says this is of service. This is of value to you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, though. Does that make any sense? No, so, not, not quite. So the thing about key performance indicators is they're questions. They're not answers. And if you ask a general question, you'll get the general answer. So there are very generic key performance indicators. If you ask specific questions, you'll get the very specific answer. So again, there are key performance indicators for that. So let, let me try and clarify with you. Are you asking me how successful should a KPI book be? Is that, is that the question? No, not intentionally anyway. My, my intention or my question is, is connected or curious about your intention. Oh, 100% contribution. It was, I, I, I earned a good living from the automotive industry and it was my absolute intention to give back, to say thank you, to contribute. 100%, that's what, that's what it was. Is there, I mean, is, is there a legacy built into this as well, do you think? I think that's for other people to decide, Peace. 
Mm. Um, as I've said, I don't do any marketing. It it, it lives and breathes by mm. itself. It is its own entity. It just has my name on the cover. I think it naturally leads to the question. So what is a good KPI? What is a good one? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> let, allow me to rephrase it because okay. one of the most popular questions I'm asked, and it doesn't matter what business people are in, whether it's producing podcasts, writing books, automotive, whether a chef or anything, people ask the same question and it's this. What are the top 10 KPI? So if I'm going to do a number of key performance indicators and I need to look at them frequently, what are the top 10 that I need? And I think that perhaps brings in and encapsulates the question you're asking me. So you're asking me, what's the one? I'm saying the most popular question is, what's the top 10? And the answer is the same, really. So there isn't a top 10, there isn't a one. And the, the, there's a very good reason for that is, think about yourself, Pete. Think about when you were in business five years ago, your business was at a, a certain stage of development. Your knowledge and your skills were at a certain stage of development. And at that time, you would have created a budget and your personal goals to achieve specific things. And then to get there, you would have needed specific key performance indicators to, to let you know where you are and where you want to be and where you are on that track right now. Now, if you move forward, let's say one year or two years, would your business be in the same place? I'd yeah. say not. Hmm. Would you, Pete Longton, would you as a person be in the same place? No, I would say not. And therefore, the key performance indicators that you need need to change with the aspirations of the company and the aspirations of yourself. You need a different roadmap. You can't use the same roadmap and follow the same roadmap if you want to go to different destinations. So five years ago, when you had your top 10 KPI, when you reset two years later, you'll still have a top 10 KPI, but there'll be a different top 10 to what you had five years beforehand. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, the question that springs to mind is, you know, do, do we need the do we need to see that contrast? Do we need to know where we're going to make it useful to have a KPI? Does that need to come first? Absolutely right. I mean, there, there are lots of sayings there, aren't there? So if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. If you don't know where you're going, you're, you're like a ship without a rudder. Hmm. So there's all of those things. So key performance indicators are like your chart and course, and they shine a track on where you want to be and whether you're heading in the right direction. It's like the sat-nav in your car. Mm. And is it always, let's rephrase that, is it typically um, future and forward-based or is it also past and history-based? 
it's interesting. That's, that's a fascinating one, because if you think about company budgeting, what a lot of people do is look at the past, hmm. add a nominal figure, 5%, and say, that's what I'll, I'll achieve in the future. For instance, um, it's useful to look at previous information so you understand what you did, but more importantly, how you did it. And that's what key performance indicators do. So you have your set of accounts for this year uh, or last month, for instance, and you get them. Now, when I look at a set of accounts, I really don't care or have much interest in what the bottom line is. Of course, I do care, but that's not my focus is what I mean. What I'm interested, I start at the top, look at my gross profitability, my buying skills, my selling skills, and all the way down. And I'm asking the questions, have I made the most of the resources that were available to me last week, the week before, the week before that? And that's what I'm really interested in. And if you work from the top down, You'll know way before you get to the bottom whether that result is any good or not. And then the secret to success is developing a strategy that's repeatable. It's no good just doing something once and saying, wow, we had a great month. But if you don't know how you did it and you collapse next month, then opening longer hours and working harder instead of small, you know, more speed in the wrong direction doesn't help. And that's what key performance indicators do, Pete. They help you to understand what happened in the past and how to improve that or replicate it in the future. What is your definition of success and also the definition of success of a KPI? Okay. Let's do the KPI one first. Hmm. Remember, key performance indicators, they're questions, they're not answers. So you, you set your limits and boundaries to where you want to be. Let's call that success. And key performance indicators are saying, that's where you want to be, here's where you are. It's just information for you to question. My own definition of success, I can go back now a long, long, long time in order to answer this one, because it's something that's given me fire in my belly. So uh, I used to be a professional musician, but prior to that, I used to be a mechanical and electrical engineer. So I'm going back now to the 1970s, long, long time ago. <laughs> I was a mechanical and electrical engineer and I went to college, got my papers, got qualified. Let me put something into context. My salary was £7.91. What's that? $10, something like that, a week. I was an apprentice and you know, I'm up ladders in the snow fixing cranes. And it's like, man. <laughs> uh, but during my spare time, I used to play keyboards from when I was about 10 years old. So when I got to 18, I was, I was pretty good. And it was my mum and dad's silver wedding anniversary. 
and and they organized an event where they invite friends, family, things like this. They had a band on stage and music was going and dancing and all these things. But when it was a wedding anniversary, Pete, uh, there's a special song that's played by the band called the Anniversary Waltz. And the happy couple take to the dance floor, they dance, everybody claps, and then, then everybody joins in. You know it, right? <clears throat> So during the, during the interval, I went to the band leader and I said, hey, my name's Jeff. It's my mom and dad's silver wedding anniversary this evening. Is it okay for me to play the anniversary waltz for them? And they went, wow, that would be real cool. And he said, um, do you need the rest of the band? And I said, no, I'll, I'll just have a drummer so he can keep beats and, uh, and I'll play. And they said, your mum and dad are going to be so touched. I was about 16 or 17 at the time. Mm. My mum and dad didn't know anything about it. And so uh, during towards the end of the interval, the band leader called me over and he said, okay, you ready? I said, yeah. He said, the keyboard's set up as you want it set up. The drummer's going on the stage. I'm going to call you to the stage. I said, okay. Pete, my stomach was rumbling. I felt sick. But what drove me, I wanted to do this for my mum and dad. And of course, they knew nothing about it. So then my mum and dad were then called to the dance floor. Everyone else was asked to stand around the dance floor. And they said, we're now going to play this anniversary waltz for the couple to dance, but we're not going to play it for you. It's going to be Jeff. And then I walked on and everybody goes, oh, wow. They clap and my mum and dad are really surprised and like, oh, wow. So then I play and we play this. And of course, my mum and dad are in tears and uh, <clears throat> very, very emotional time. So I do that. I finish the band then come on, the party carries on and, and things go. At the end of the evening, a guy came over to me and he said, Jeff, you're a brilliant keyboard player. And I said, well, thanks for the compliment. And he said, I'd like you to do some gigs. I'm a musical agent. And I said, ah, uh, I just do it for fun. I just play at home. And he said, Jeff, you, you've, you can make some money at this. And I said, I'm, I'm not really interested, you know. Now, bear in mind, Pete, I was earning £7.91, about $10. He said, I want to engage you for three nights per week. And I'm going to pay you 40 pounds. That's about $60, right? Per night. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I had the same reaction as you. Mm. So I'm thinking, do I want to earn $10 a week going up ladders in the snow, fixing cranes and all this lap? Or do I want to go out playing music for people mm. and earn, you know, $200 a week? He's like, wow. So I called my dad. I said, dad, dad, this guy's, and my dad said, well, we'll finish your papers for your electrical work. You, you need something to fall back on just in case. Long story short, I left and I became a professional musician. Here's where the story begins now about defining success and all of those things. I became a very, very accomplished musician. So during the day, I used to sell 
keyboards, pianos, guitars, and all this kind of stuff. And then during night, I used to work in nightclubs, backing cabaret. In those days, you didn't have backing tracks or karaoke didn't exist. You needed live music, and, and that was me. As a result of that, I was exposed to some very famous people and some very successful people. But one day, a guy walks into the shop. Well, he turns up in a black Porsche 911 Targa, you know, pulls outside the store. He comes in and he says, what's the best keyboard you have? So I took him over to it. Now, my dad was the manager of the largest machine shop in Europe. Very clever guy, but we had no money. We lived in a council house, so we paid rent to the state. The price of the house was £2,000 and my dad could not afford to buy it. This guy, I took him over to this keyboard, price £4,000. This thing was double the price of the house that we could not afford to buy. We could only afford to rent. So long story short, he bought it. And then I delivered to, to his home, played it for him, had a wonderful evening. And he lived in this huge mansion and he was really old, Pete. He was about 40. <laughs> and I thought, how old is old as that? <laughs> as old as that, yes. As old as that. So I thought, how is it that this guy has obviously done very, very well for himself? To my mind, obviously a multimillionaire. And then there's my dad, who's a very intelligent guy, very clever guy, had a hand in the building of the Thames Barrier, the bridge over the Bosphorus, some bridges all over the world. He, he, he helped stuff. And we had nothing. And I'm thinking, how is it that some people are successful and some people are not? And in the naivety of youth, I attributed success to equal money and millionaire status. Now, because I was playing keyboards, I was exposed to lots of famous people and lots of rich people and successful people. So I thought, I'm going to find out here. So I had not at that time read Think and Grow Rich, but I did what he did. And I interviewed, over the fullness of time, 325 millionaires and successful people. And what I found was that there are 11 steps that they all do in common. Some were consciously aware of these 11 steps. Some were not consciously aware. They, it was just innate. They just did them. Some did a few of the 11, but they all had them in common. So I thought, if I formalized these 11 steps and apply it to my own life, I wonder if I too can be successful. So then we come now to your question. Let me define success. I think success is a similar answer to fire in the belly earlier in that when you said, Am I happy in my life? Am I contented? Am I where I want to be? I think that that interweaves itself with success in that success is about having something 
that you want to achieve and being on the journey and moving towards that. For me, that is success. Because once you attain the goal, it's done. You then need another goal or another purpose. So success is more about working on it and striving towards the achievement of rather than having done it. Having done it is in the past. I know that was a very long answer, but does it come anywhere close? It, it was a beautiful answer. So first of all, thank, thank you. you for sharing that. I mean, of course, we have a slight cliffhanger about the 11. Yes. Do <laughs> <laughs> we just leave it? Do we talk about it? What do we do, what do, we do Jeff? Tell me. So, okay, you want to know what is step one? Everybody asks me what is step one. And, and this comes back to something you mentioned earlier about key performance indicators also. What comes first, the key performance indicator or, or, or the goal? It's the goal. So what's interesting here, step one, 98% of people can't do it, Pete. And that is to know what you want. And most people do not know what they want. And if you don't know what you want, how on earth can you be successful? How on earth can you have fire in your belly about that? Can't or won't? Or don't. Say again? Can't or won't or don't? Let me explore those three. Can't, won't, or don't. You I said 98% of people can't. Yeah, unable to. They're unable to get clarity. Okay. So I'll say to people, for instance, what do you want? And most people, like I did in the beginning, default to money. And I'll say, what, what do you want? They say, I want more money. And I'll say, okay, I'll put my hand in my pockets. I'll give them a dollar bill. I'll put it in the hand and I'll say, there you are. Your dreams have come true. And I go, no, no, that's not what I, that's not what I meant. I went, ah, but that's what you asked for. You asked for more money. Yeah. You have received more money. What was lacking, you didn't say how much. And you didn't say when. It was this lack of specificity. And I think that's where people lack in life. They, they don't have any clarity or specificity on what they absolutely want to achieve and by when. And without that, whatever tools you put in place, whatever roadmap you have, it, it's got no anchor to fix it to. Is where do you want me to go? So you, most 98% of people cannot tell me that's exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. Very few can do it. And even when we go through the process, it takes quite a lot of mental reconditioning against the way we've been taught to live in order to get to where we want to be. What would help them? Is it asking a better question? Let me give you an example, and then you can answer this one yourself. I did a podcast with a lady 
about three months ago. And, and we got to this point. And she said, Jeff, this is, this is really quite fascinating because I want to write a book. And I said, oh, good for you. Um, what's this book about? She said, well, I've already written one book. I'm now thinking about another book. And she said, but the, I've got a problem with my first book. And I said, okay, would you, would you like to explain your first book and why you think you have a problem? She says, well, I wrote the book. The problem is it hasn't sold. And I now have a garage full of books. And I said, okay, can you, can you share with me what was your goal? She said, oh yeah, I wanted to write a book. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, you got what you asked for. And, and tears came in her eyes, Pete. It was the dawn of realization that her, her dreams had come true, but her goal was not right in the beginning. So I said, if your goal had been to sell a thousand copies or 10,000 copies of your book, then your journey would be quite different to simply writing a book. Mm. And she said, the pennies just dropped for me, Jeff. My goal was completely wrong. It, it was focused in the wrong area. I, I wanted to write a book. I've written a book and now they all sit in my garage. Man, how stupid am I? And I said, it's not about being stupid. It's about asking for what you want. And I said, with your second book, let me try and help you in piecing together your goal with more accuracy. I said, the mistake that most authors make is that they write a book and then they think about selling it. I've written it, how am I going to sell this? Mm -hmm. What I did, I had not written a word of my book. I began with the advertisements for my book because I decided I wanted to know what would people want when they have it, what will people say? When will they use it? How will they use it? And when they've read the part that they want to read, how will they feel? How much will it be? How big will it be? How many will it sell? And I, and I wrote the advert and I spent three months defining my goal before I'd written a single word. And then when I started writing in the beginning, the book I was writing did not fit the advertisement. And the advertisement was good. I would have bought it myself, Pete. <laughs> it was that good. <laughs> In fact, I did buy it myself, didn't I? And it didn't work. And I went through seven versions until I got the book matching up with the advertisement. Took me seven. I didn't write the book seven times, but it, I, I wrote it. I write a few thousand words, and I'm thinking this is this is not fitting the road I want it to fit. It's not fitting the goal I've written. It's not fitting the dreams and aspirations of the people who want to buy it. So it was the seventh seventh time round. He said, "Ah, I've got it now." So once I matched up my writing and I found my voice to fit. 
the advertisement I've written, that completely changes everything about how you write a book. So once I'd written the book, I launched it then with the advertisement and here we are, the best-selling author in the world on the subject. So what I said to this lady is, your goal is not to write a book. Your goal is what? And she says, I said, your book is just the conduit. People don't buy a book. People buy the information that's in the book to gain a skill, you know? People don't buy drills. They buy holes. People don't wear makeup. They buy hope. So writing a book is not what it's about. It's what the book does for people. And you need to decide that first. Define that planning process for us, Jeff. I mean, are we, are we edging towards law of attraction here? Are we feelings becomes things? Or where, are we, where are we heading here with this sort of okay, defining I the goal? Yeah, I understand the law of attraction. I don't think it's that. This, this is purely cold-blooded selling. No one's goal is merely to write a book. No one. People want to write a book and sell that book. They want people to buy that book. So then the primary objective, Pete, must be, why would someone, write, why would someone buy my book? Why would they? And until you know that, how can you possibly write it? So I began with, why would somebody want this book? I defined all the reasons why, and then I wrote it and gave it to them. Game changer? For who? <laughs> well, or for you. Yeah, for, for me, yes, because... I, as I said earlier, I think it's my purpose. I didn't do it to make money, but of course it has made a lot of money for which I'm thankful. I have used that to do other things as well. Uh, game change for other people. Um, this brings tears to my eyes. I get so many letters of thanks and gratitude saying how my work has saved their business help their lives people have sent me gifts and gratitudes it's i feel super humbled so um i'm very privileged to have spoken in more than 75 countries now hundreds of different cities and my work has touched the lives of millions of people um and i'm thankful for that but i'm also thankful that it has changed the lives of quite a few people too. I feel blessed. That's one of the laws. <laughs> <laughs> Have you written these down out of curiosity? Is, is this, does it take, take part in, in your books? Your 11, uh, your 11. Oh, the 11 steps, rules, the 11, 11 steps, steps of success. Uh, actually my coat of arms, my company logo is, uh, I spent 40 years designing this. So I didn't think 40 years ago, I'm going to do this, but I have two girls. So they're now 24, 26, but at 2015, they, 
thinking about leaving home, going to university and things like that. And I have a wonderful relationship with my girls. They're my best friends. And I was thinking there will be some point in their life where they'll find themselves in a situation and they'll say, what will my dad do? Or what should I be doing here? And, and I wanted to encapsulate the 11 steps of success and the whole mindset that goes with it. And I wanted to give them something. So I decided to create a graphic image, which is this coat of arms. So I think you need to see it. You can see it on the website. I can't describe it to you on, on auditory. So when my daughters decided to leave home, they put the first foot over the doorstep and I say, wait, this is for you. When you need an answer from me and I'm not there, you'll find the answer here. So I, I gave them that. And it, it, it's coded. It encapsulates the whole thing. One day, will I write the book about the whole story and how it's encoded in there? And will I write the 11 steps of success in absolute detail so you can follow it too? That's a definite maybe. <laughs> I don't have enough fire in my belly right now, peace. <laughs> but it's certainly on the list. But it is formalized. I haven't written it yet. How, how would you summarize speaking to all those millionaires as you described them? That experience. In the beginning, um, a few people were really nice. And there are other people that were not nice. And how money comes to people and how people think of money, some people say it changes who they are. But I was influenced. You know, Michael Parkinson, the great interviewer, mm. I was 12 years old and this is how much this interview interviewed me. Here I am in my 60s now and I can remember he, he interviewed Tom Jones. And Tom Jones is the guy that did YYY D-Liner and all of these incredible songs. Anyway, Tom had done well. So Michael Parkinson is interviewing Tom and here's the question he asks him. He says... Tom, you had a num uh, many number one sing singles now, and you've obviously made quite a lot of money. And Tom's Jones says, yes, I've done all right. I've earned a few pounds. Thank you very much. And then Michael Parkinson said, are you happy? And he said, has, has the money changed you and it's this answer that was so profound to me when i was 12 years old this is what tom jones said he said having money doesn't change people not having money changes people when people have money they become the person who they really are 
So when, yes, so when you meet or when I met a number of millionaires, some, thankfully not too many, but some had this air of superiority that they believed because they were wealthy, they were somehow better than others. And some people that don't have money who are really like that can't be like that because they have to still earn money. So does money change people? No, not having money changes people. So that's what I learned. I kept that with me. So when I was interviewing the 325 millionaires and successful people, it was very clear, you know, very, very clear. I, I know some very, very wealthy people who are super nice. I know some very wealthy people who I'll never meet again for a whole host of reasons. Um, that's what I got from it. What I found frustrating before I knew the 11 steps of success was I was trying to name the business then, but I, I can't, I shouldn't. But I, I, this very successful person earned a huge amount of money, tens of millions from a very simple idea. So I said, how did you come up with the idea? And he said, well, it's just a simple idea, and uh, but it, it was difficult to achieve. And he said, well, that's the thing, Jeff. I did not know that it couldn't be done. Now, that's an interesting thought, Pete, and that, that's something what I want the listeners to think about because when I was writing the KPI book, I wrote my goal out. I did the advertisement and I shared it with a few people just to test the temperature of the water, as you will. And, and people were saying to me, oh, that will never sell. There's not a market for anything like that. And I say, but nothing exists like this. And said, yeah, because nobody thinks it's a good idea. It's a dumb idea. You shouldn't do it. It'll never work. It'll never catch on. You'll never make any money. All those things. You know what, Pete? I did it anyway. And look what happens. And now all of those people go, oh, yeah, well done. I could have done that. It's such a simple idea. Yeah, but no one did. And I think sometimes people have great ideas and they talk themselves out of it through their own conditioning. And you know, we're born with two fears. One is loud noises and the other one is the fear of falling. Everything else is conditioned. And whether it's our parents, whether it's our friends, whether it's our social groups, certainly the people we mix with, that's one of the steps. They put limitations on our thoughts and beliefs about ourselves. For you, what was a, a defining question or a defining moment in any interview that was a, a litmus test almost? It was, I'd done about 50 or 60 interviews, first of all, and, and, and I noted the commonality. I noted there's some stuff the same here. And the litmus, the aha, I would be 
starting the interview, I have my questions and I pretty much knew what the answers were going to be. And I thought, there's something here. There's definitely something here. And uh, that was a defining moment for me. And, and then once I knew what the answers were going to be, I was then able to get my questioning a little bit more intelligent so I could drill deeper for specificity on what they were doing in their case. So that's when I got more clarity on the 11 steps. Well, those interviews, I'm, I'm really curious yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was your KPI for those? Oh, the driving force, I, I was not doing key performance indicators at the time. I was a professional mm -hmm. musician. My driving force was quite simple. This guy had come into my store. He'd bought, a, he'd bought an organ, essentially. That was twice the price of my house, and he was younger than my dad. So my overriding question was, how do successful people become successful? What is the answer to that question? And then when I was going across the, the 325 millionaires, none of them did it to be millionaires. There was always something else that, that, uh, that was the, the driver. It just so happened that money followed. So chasing the money is not what success is about. It's finding your purpose in life, pursuing that purpose in life. And if you do it well and you serve the right people, money, money just follows. It's, it's a byproduct of what you do, not the core of what you do, just a byproduct. What, what's the most powerful question you can think of? <clears throat> Why do you want to interview me, Pete? Right. <laughs> I'm fascinated. Mm -hmm. What is it that fascinates you? I'm curious about everyone's journey and their lessons and their insights and what, because so much of life happens, right? There's whatever it is, 80,000 thoughts a day or whatever. Sure. But yet we summarize it down to this point. And it's amazing. I find that the depiction that we create for ourselves. And it's always just curious to know where people are at in their journey. Mm. So the answer to your question, what's a powerful question is really, why do you do what you do? And, and that tends to unravel people's purpose or vision in life. That's where it gets fascinating. That's for me is what I think is the most powerful question. Why do you do what you do? Is there a premeditation there? Because is there, a, is there an evolution of that question saying, what are you capable of or what could you do? Ah, uh, well, I failed at maths, failed at English, and then wrote the best-selling book in the world on mathematics. 
I think that's pretty fair evidence that there's an evolutionary factor in there. And it comes from what you believe you're capable of achieving. And the overriding factor, when I speak to people, when I mentor people, and they say, I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, or I can't be doing, I can't do it because of this, or I have this limitation or that limitation. When I find out their motivation, I just bounce something back at them just to test their reaction. And I say, oh, I see. So you don't want it enough. And that kind of jolts people to say, well, well, I do want it. And I said, well, you're giving me all the reasons why you're not going to do it. You could go learn a new skill, but you're saying you can't, won't. Therefore, you, the result you're talking, you don't want it enough. Uh, so you find out lots from that. Mm. Is it evolutionary? Yes, it is. Is it down to ability? No. It's down to how much you want it. What's your core values, Jeff, or core values, soul values? What I've learned over the years, Pete, is that we all have integrity. But integrity is not one thing. We all have different levels of integrity. Mm. And, and over the years, I've found that with lots of people that I've worked with. And a number of years ago, I was working with a guy and I'd written a qualification program for the automotive industry. And, and the, the participants needed to jump through 10 hoops. Let me make life simple. So I went along to this motor manufacturer who wanted my system. And they said to me, we'll give you 3.8 million pounds. This is a huge amount of money for your program. And I'm thinking, whoa, awesome. And they said, but we want you to give the delegates step one and step two. So they only have eight hoops to jump through. And I said, I can't do that. You have to jump through all 10. And they said, then I'm sorry, we can't have the program. So we came out of, came out of the meeting and the guy I was with, he said to me, Jeff, you have too much integrity. I said, what? He said, someone else will go in there. They will allow them the first two steps and jump through eight hoops, not 10. And they'll take the 3.8 million pounds. You should have taken it. And I said, but I know if they don't do step one and step two, they'll fail. And taking the 3.8 million, I can't do. It's not within my integrity to do that. And he said, well, you're crazy because somebody else will. And I said, well, I can sleep tonight. I'll let the next person take that. So my core values really is I don't take any money for anything unless you perceive value from it. One of the things I say about all of my work and my books too, you don't like it, I'll give you money back. That's with everything, absolutely everything. Whether that's a mentoring session, 
whether that's a keynote speech at a live conference, whether that's a keynote speech virtually, whether that's a training program, you're not happy, money back. What's interesting, Pete, in 30 years, how many people have asked me for the money back because they're unhappy? Not one. And that's because before I engage in a project, I make sure I understand completely what they want. And I, I have to ask myself, am I the right person to deliver this? Am I the best person to deliver it? Am I able to give them what they want plus some more? If not, then I, I point them in another direction. So I think that's my guiding light. That's my core value. Are you, do you describe yourself as an intuitive then? Intuitive. Intuitive about what? If it's key performance indicators, understanding how business works, I'm extremely intuitive. If it's understanding what my wife thinks, I, mean, I don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, I suppose it's following on from what you were saying about integrity. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're going, I just get a funny feeling. My intuition says, or, you know, vice versa. I like to understand what people, is it down to, you know, and I'm just wondering, is this a key to the likes of key performance indicators that you fully define the objectives, the intention, which then flushes out any uncertainty or any incongruency or whatever? Or do you lean and say, actually, there's something, um, thank you, but no thank you? I think it's like writing your goals and stuff like that. You have to be clear. If you have no clarity, you're not going to get there. So before I engage with anyone, I have to be really clear and really certain that I know what they want. And I have to know that I have the power and the tools to take them from where they are to where they want to be. I have to know that because if I don't know that, how am I going to deliver? Mm. So it, it, it's about asking the right kind of questions to get clarity in the first instance, just the same as establishing your goal. Anything to do with success begins in the same place. What do you want? There was follow-on books then. So, I mean, you're yeah. saying you have seven books in total? Yeah. The KPI, uh, KPI book was the first book? Yeah. So um, that, that was published in 2001. Mm -hmm. I then wrote another one that was published in 2003. It takes me a year to write a book. And, and that was about, I take, so the KPI book originally was about sales department, service department, parts department, yada, yada, yada. But it told you what the key performance indicators were, what to use them for, but it didn't tell you how to fix problems. So the next lot of books was to say, okay, let's take one area, and the first one was service departments. Now let's take the key performance indicators and spend the, the, the print on here's a problem, here's how to fix it. Here's how to really interpret the key performance indicators and what to do about it. The next one I wrote was 2008. So 
I didn't uh, I'd, um, help people to understand key performance indicators, but people didn't understand where the information came from on their management accounts. And people don't want to be an accountant, apart from accountants. <laughs> they don't want to be an accountant. They, they, they just want to understand the financial information and then get what they need and get out of there. So I wrote that book to say, this, this is what your uh, financial account set out to do. Uh, and in basic sense, this is how you use them. And this is where you pull the information from to form your key performance indicators. And that was 2008. The reason for doing that at that time was that the world economy collapsed in June 2008. Everything went whoosh down. And what was happening, lots of people were using some basic key performance indicators, thinking they were doing well, and then going bust. So I thought, ah, there's a reason for that. There's a need for a second book to really fully explain why that's happening. So I, I wrote that book in 30 days. The calling was that strong. I just switched off, sat down, and I wrote the, wrote the book 30 days, and then it went off for publishing. That was 2008. Interestingly, you talk about fire in the belly and having a purpose. I decided to retire then. I retired. Then the world economy went whoosh, and lots of people were in trouble. And I had this calling, I'm needed. I need to write this other book. I can see why this is happening and other people can't see. I, I, need, I need to give them some glasses. I need to help them to see. So that's why I wrote that book. And, I, and then I, I said to my wife, I've got a great idea. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to semi-retire. <laughs> and she said, oh, no, <laughs> what does that look like? I said, I'm going to speak at conferences. And she said, OK. And she said, so what will be the time involvement? And I said, the time involvement would be much less because we can do a keynote speech in hour and a half, two hours and make a really important point. And she says, OK. So then I, I set up that launch that and it, it went really, really well, Pete. And the reason for it is no one else does what I do. And I have a particular gift in that I can take a really complex, complex subject and make it super simple for everyone to understand, even where English is not their first language. So that's what I'm known for, is sharing a strategy and sharing uh, best practice and make it simple so we can all understand. And then that really took off. And then I was busier than I ever was before. And that's how I've come to speak in over 75 countries now and lots of cities. And I think the acid test for that, uh, I do love it. I do enjoy it. That's my current purpose. That's what I have a fire in the belly for. But the acid test, I keep getting asked to come back and speak again. And I think for any conference speaker like yourself, that is the thing. I only work by recommendation and my clients just ask me back. So I don't think you could have a better testimonial than that. And that, that's what keeps me going. Mm. 
I'm not constantly looking for new customers and marketing. I don't do that. That doesn't speaking to strangers all the time is not what floats my boat. It's having people who want to know more. I heard what you said. Now I want some more. And then I'm happy to help. Hmm. I'm circling back slightly to that sort of yeah. 98%. Yep. Are people, and it's maybe a biased view because we all have biased views, right? Because of the circles that we put ourselves yeah. in our yeah. cubes. But are people asking more questions, do you think? Um, the, the, for me, the journey begins with what do you want? And most people are unable to answer that question because they haven't given it any thought with any depth of clarity. So are they asking more questions? No. It's not, not until you ask that question and the questions that follow that they start to really examine themselves, understand their own purpose and what they want in life. I, personally, I find it strange that people don't do that. But as I said, 98% of people don't. And that's why we have this 2 or 3%, the minority, that are super successful and the rest not. Is there a, an individual or a company you think that demonstrates the, the, the use of KPIs particularly well? Okay, so the, the, the people I work with is all confidential. So if I told you that, because it's classified, I'd have to kill you and eat you. <laughs> Not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm afraid I can't answer that one. Is, is, there, is there companies out there, though? Yeah. Yeah, there, there are companies that have uh, struggled. I've helped and then they've achieved success. Uh, it, let me be sure here. It's not me that delivers success for them. I'm merely the messenger. All mm. I do is give them the roadmap. They have the intention. I just, they have the energy. I just keep them pointed in the right direction and uh, give them their roadmap. Oh, and that's, that's down to... Is it the question or is it the asking or is it the space that you create to, to get them to reflect on themselves, do you think? Most people don't know what they want hmm. or when they say what they do want, it's not really what they want. It's like earlier, the, the lady I was speaking to, her goal was to write a book. It clearly wasn't. So all she ended up with was a book and, and it's about clarity on purpose. The other thing as well, Pete, is that our self-talk often determines whether we're successful or not. Let me give you an example here. Many people can tell me or can't tell me what they want, but most can tell me what they don't want. And by telling me what we don't want, I don't want to touch religion or anything like that, but let me just say the universe. If you want the universe to deliver 
or to help you or to assist you in some way, it has to know what you want. And your brain and the universe do not understand the negative content of the words that you use. Now, in negative, I don't mean positive or negative. I mean, if you say, so I'll ask you a question now, Pete, we'll see what happens. Do not think of a pink elephant. What happens? I'm thinking of a beautiful pink elephant. Of course you are. <laughs> right. So what happens is that when I said do not think, that's what I'm saying is, is a negative connotation of that part of the sentence. So do not do that. Now, our brain, our subconscious does not have the ability nor the power to say, okay, you don't want to think of a pink elephant. So what do you want to think of? It doesn't have that reflection basis. So all it can give you is what you thought about. Even though you don't want it, the pink elephant, it delivers it for you. And this is what happens in life. And Google works exactly the same way. You can try it now. If you open up a browser, go onto Google and type in, do not show me a red car. What's going to happen, Pete? Lots of pretty red cars. You're going to get lots of red cars. Why? <laughs> because Google is exactly the same as your brain. It does not understand the negative con connotation. Google doesn't say, okay, you don't want a red car. What do you want instead? It, does, it doesn't have the ability to do that. And neither does our brain. And that's why when we say, oh, I don't want this to happen or I don't want that to happen, guess what happens? The universe or your brain can only give you what you're thinking about, whether you want it or not. So whether you play golf doesn't matter. You understand the concept of golf. You imagine a golfer. They're on the 14th tee now. It's a beautiful day. The sun is shining. They put the ball down. To the one side of the tee where they're standing is a huge lake. And it's, a, it's 50 meters long. The green is 200 meters away. And all you need to do is hit the ball straight. Most people will put the ball on the tee, they'll address the ball, and they'll think, I don't want to go in the water. I don't want to slice this ball. I don't want to go in the water. What happens? Your brain sends the muscles messages that say, go in the water. Because it doesn't understand, I don't want to do this. So what happens, you hit the ball, you slice it, it goes in the water, and then the golfer says, I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> and I've seen it so many times. Now, if you speak to a professional golfer, completely different mindset altogether. They'll put the ball on the tee. Water? What water? I don't see any water. I'm aiming for a particular blade of grass that's on the green and that's all they see. And it's straight true and that's where it goes. So my point, most people cannot tell me what they want 
but many can tell me what they don't want. And life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You become what you think about, whether you want it or not. Your subconscious, your brain, the universe, Google, whatever, does not have the ability to say, do not show me a red car. It does not have the ability to say, okay, what do you want instead? So when it comes about the ability of asking questions and clarity on the goal, you need to know what you want. And that's why most people are unable to do it. And the reasons why most people are less than successful than they like to be is they think about what they don't want and the universe delivers, just like hitting the ball into the lake. What's ahead for you, Jeff? Do you know? Supper. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know you're writing two books, aren't you, Peace, at the moment? Mm. You're writing two books at the same time. Well, it's, it's too much to fit into one, so it became two. It, it okay. multiplied out of my choice, probably. Yeah. Uh, what's ahead for me? I'm writing four books at the same time. Well, So if you consider the KPI book contains sales, service, parts, body shop stuff, that's like the album. So mm. what I'm going to do now is to write the singles. So I'm writing one book about sales department, one book about service department, one about parts, one about body shop. And why am I writing four at the same time? It's a crazy idea, right? Let me ask you this, Pete. Have you noticed you could write a book and you get tempted to go back and edit what you've already written, right? Do you or do you not? So you start writing, and let's say the process is one year. At the end of the book, you're a different person to who you were when you started writing the book. You've grown, you learn more. So you could easily go back and put it right again and, and do a better job from when you started. The problem is, if you spend another year doing that, you'll be a different person again, and it's a never-ending loop. I was speaking to a lady last week who's taken nine years to write a book, and that's exactly why. So I wanted these four books to be written at the same stage of my development. And that's why I'm writing four at the same time. So I'm writing one section and then I'm mirroring it over the other three. So it has the same taste and flavor and feel. Where, where does your inspiration come from, Jeff? Where, are you in a, in a shower guy up a mountain standing in the sea? Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Um, For release, to relax, I'm a pilot. I fly. What do you I fly? Also, say again? What do you fly? I fly a gyro. Mm. So it has rotors, looks like a helicopter. So um, that's my thing where I don't think about anything. Because as a pilot, you can't think about anything else. You're totally consumed with what's going on. So that's a nice release for me. I swim. So I like to swim a mile or two. I put headset in and I, I listen to an audio book or something inspirational, something like that. 
or I think about a problem that I'm trying to solve. But if I have if if I have a particular problem and I think I need help with this, then I craft a very specific question in my mind. I go to bed and I ask the universe for help on this particular question. And I can often wake up at 2 a.m. as I did this morning and I have the answer to the question. But when I do that, I also know I must act on it immediately. And the reason is if you don't and you ask the universe again, the universe will say, well, wait a minute, I gave you some information before and you didn't do anything with it. Why should I give you some more? So when I'm given some information, I, I always act on it. So my inspiration, uh, I think the universe, something exists, I know not what, but I ask he or she, probably she, delivers. <laughs> wow. There's, there's so much there. I want to be mindful of time, you know, but there's, I, I love yeah. your, um, I just love your approach to it all. I think it's, it's fascinating. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell me, I mean, if you could describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, Jeff, what would they be? Sorry, I missed that, Pete. If I could describe my what? Your fire in the belly in one or two words, what would they be? Um, I don't think any of us are here to take. I think we are here to give. And it's how we give our contribution is is what we need to find mm. and i think when you find a way of giving that that uh is perhaps also your purpose and your passion like for me understanding key performance indicators i don't have to think about it so writing the book was merely the conduit but seeing people benefit from it, that contribution, that's what gets me. Also with the flying, um, I'm CEO of a charity and we fly medication across to save people's lives and that also helps. So whatever I do in my life, I like to find a contributory factor for it too. I can't just do something for myself. Do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? I do. Mm. I'm, I'm very happy. I want to lose a bit of weight right now. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> um, that, that's just choice. But um, if, if I only had the ability to stay as I am, which I don't, of course, then equally I, I, would, I would be happy, thankful and grateful. I think gratitude is an important thing to have. Do you have to tell us where can people track you down, hunt you down, stalk you, anything you above? <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm very aware that we've 
merely scratched the surface of some of the some of the stuff you want to talk about and there might be something specific that a few listeners want to say jeff you've reached me there i i just want a quick chat with you so uh what we can do my website is jeff-smith.com that's j-e-f-f hyphen smith.com if you want to, you, you can find out lots of information there but if you want to have a chat with me like we're doing on zoom uh, i don't mind doing that uh, so you can have access to my calendar and we can have a chat about something specific so that's jeff-smith.com forward slash chat and you can find it on the website too i think the menu is speak with jeff um Book a slot in the calendar that's mutual, mutually beneficial for you and for myself. And, uh, and I'm happy to have a chat with you about what you need to speak about. Wonderful. Do I charge? No, I don't. Jeff, that's awesome. Thank you. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners? Uh, key performance indicators are in all of our lives. Take care to measure the right things in the right way. Said from the man himself. Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm blessed. Thank you, Peace. I really enjoyed it. And I hope, I hope there's some listeners who've enjoyed it too. Thank you. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.